If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Side Hustle Show 248, scaling up a service business from idea to $400,000 in monthly recurring revenue. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your idea of success might not coincide with your boss's. Our recurring revenue theme for the month rolls on this week with the crazy story of a side project that's turned into a multi-million dollar a year business in a little over two and a half years with just one service offering. You've probably heard of productized services before. These are businesses that take skills normally sold on a project basis or on an hourly basis, and it sells them uh, like their products with flat fee packages, and they're often sold on a monthly subscription model. Like most recently, we heard from Gabe Arnold, from a copywriter today, which sells article writing as a monthly subscription. And when we caught up in episode 205, he was up to $20,000 in monthly recurring revenue. But today, I want to introduce you to Russ Perry, who took this model and took some inspiration from another side hustle show guest and created a really cool business called designpickle.com. The service offers unlimited graphic design tasks for a low flat monthly fee. And maybe the exciting part is, as you'll hear Russ say, is that he sucked at design. It was never about him doing the work. So I invited Russ on the show to learn, look, how did he get his customers and how did he build up his team to deliver consistent quality results? The pain point for a lot of entrepreneurs and side hustlers in the freelancing or consulting world is how to decouple their income from their time, right? How to stop trading hours for dollars. That's something I think Russ has done extremely well. And I invite you to listen in to hear how he's scaled the unscalable, a service business. Notes, links, and a free PDF download with all of Russ's top tips from this conversation are at sidehustlenation.com slash Russ. It's R-U-S-S. Before we dive in, let me take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is the affordable accounting and bookkeeping solution for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and side hustlers like us. Invoicing and time tracking is built right in, so when it's time to get paid, Think FreshBooks. And as a Side Hustle Show listener, they're hooking you up with a 30-day completely free trial at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Russ after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. The best place to start is after I had closed my creative agency. So I had an agency here in Arizona and on paper, it seemed like we were doing good. From the outside, it seemed like we were doing good. But personally, I was falling apart. I was depressed. I hated the business. I hated my clients. I felt like I was in a prison of my own creation, which is not a good place to be in. So I closed it all. And in late 2014, found myself with the 
a sizable amount of freelancing clients considering I was just me going from, you know, 20 employees with my agency to down to, to no employees and yeah. a laptop and a coffee shop and ended up like kind of creating the systems around design pickle that were, that were the foundation of what we do today because I was, I was fearful of creating another agency. I was on this path. I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm getting these clients and now we're doing this design work and pretty soon I'm going to have to hire people. And it was this, this <laughs> like flashback, like, no, I, I don't want to do this again. Like I'm, I'm just following the same abusive path that I just escaped from. And so I actually then took a, took a moment and stepped out and kind of created a little automation, a few really simple things between a ticketing service and a generic email address and a couple freelancers that became the bones of Design Pickle to manage inbound design requests really seamlessly and, and pull me out of those weeds. And it wasn't until December, well, probably late November 2014 when I read Seven Day Startup by Dan Norris and I was like, dude, this is my business. Like he has the same thing, but he's doing WordPress updates and I'm doing design. I need to brand this sucker. I need a launch. Yeah. I need to go, which is of course the feeling you get after you read that book. You're like ready to launch anything. And we did. And we launched in January. Had you connected with Dan before the book? No, dude, I didn't even know. I like, I think I knew of him because the Dynamite Circle content and connections, but I, I didn't even know. I didn't know him personally. I just, I, I just picked up the book and I was like, this is a great book. And this is really, really applicable to where I'm at. couple notes here. Dan was a guest on the Side Hustle Show in episode 132. If you want to check that out, we talked about the seven-day startup book and his experience in running several different businesses, including WP Curve, which offered unlimited WordPress support for a flat monthly fee and was ultimately acquired by GoDaddy about a year after we recorded that episode for uh, an undisclosed sum. Also, the Dynamite Circle that Russ mentioned is a private membership community that focuses on location-independent businesses, location-independent entrepreneurship, and it's run by the hosts of the Tropical MBA podcast, one of my longtime favorites. All right, let's jump back in. Yeah, because it sounds like he kind of came from a, a similar background of having this web design agency that sucked. And despite getting more and more clients, like having to hire more and more people to service those clients and just going backwards, like not making any money, not having a good life. And maybe we can really strip this back, simplify it and say we offer one thing. Yeah. And it's the path I think every creative agency type person wants to go down and ends up, some are successful on that path, but but ultimately, I think what, what you see people really break out and, I, you know, just not design people, I've seen people break out with niche photography service, niche copywriting services. It's, it's like finding an angle and a niche and making it super streamlined, like making it really smart how that experience is driven. And that kind of is the name of the game now, you know, that like to me is you see a lot of products, whether they're SaaS products or service based where you have a. A, somebody who escaped and now just does one little piece of it really, really well. Yeah. Was it primarily design that people were hiring you for? It was a really broad spectrum. Initially, I was doing design, but I was doing website build outs for WordPress sites and I was doing branding and logo design and brand strategy and trade shows. So these little projects were annoying. Like they were, they, they were important when the CEO of your consulting gig that's paying half of your your life's expenses needs a business card. But at the same time, 
I mean, I was out of the design game for a long time. I hadn't cracked open Illustrator in years because I always had a team. So I was like, well, the truth is I kind of sucked at design. So I was like, man, I need to find someone else to do this. Otherwise I'm going to give them a really crappy business card. And that ultimately was when I hired some freelancers. But again, I was like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to be that same model. How can I be smarter about this? And I thought, well, ticketing tools, they're really helpful. I use them in customer support situations all the time. What if a client could just email this generic tool and some backend support could grab it, design it. And if it was overly complicated, that's when I would jump in and be like, help out a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. So beyond that, that's all it was. And that's what it remains to, to this day. It was just, let's just create a really focused, really reliable way to get this piece of design done. And ultimately when I took a step back, when I had all this spectrum of design work, then creative work and branding and consulting and marketing that I was supporting, I said, Hey, it's not that sexy just to focus on Facebook ads and brochures and trade show graphics and the blah, blah, blah design, but dude, that's running really well. And then of course, when I saw the model that existed with WP curve, I was like, I'm, I gotta go for this. I I'm going to try to go the scale route and try to go down a path that I think I could provide this. And then I closed out. It took me six months actually from January 15 to, to July 15 to unload all of my consulting clients fully. But that was because Design Pickle was growing and growing and growing. So we ended up getting to a point where I could swap out all my income with Design Pickle and, and went, went full pickle as I call it in <laughs> July 2015. Those First six months, dude, I was, I would, anyone who would listen to me speak, like I was speaking at the Hispanic Latina business conference and like every angle of every business. Were you at Icon in that spring, 2015? I was, yeah. I was dressed up as the pickle. That was our first marketing event we ever did. Okay. And we were too late to get a booth. So I negotiated a pickle handing out sponsorship where I could stand on the tile in the convention center. I couldn't leave the tile. I was like a dog. It was like hot lava. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like the hot, if I step on the carpet, I burn to death, but I could stand on the tile and hand out pickles. And as far as marketing and branding, it was massively successful, but I, I, I didn't need, I couldn't even talk about design pickle cause I was by myself and everyone wanted pickles and it was like a madman rush for the pickles. Wow. That's I'm, so I totally remember seeing the pickle guy there. This is the infusion Softs conference in 2015 and, and it turns out it was you. It was me. I'm now retired though. Now you got, you got people to put on the pickle costume for you. Okay. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Well, let's dial it back a little bit. Tell me about your first customer. Like who hires you specifically for this service? Well, my very first customer was a friend of mine named Will Humphrey, and he owned a physical therapy clinic. It's actually a few of them in Arizona, more rural Arizona cities, not necessarily in Phoenix. And He, to this day, I know they're still a client and they use us every day. And it was just to help out with an office marketing collateral. So they have a promotion, a special on, you know, back massages or whatever products go on in physical therapist offices. And they had the front desk girl that was doing the design. She was not a designer. She was designing, I think, in Microsoft Word and with whatever resources were available to her. And he wanted to kind of level up his, you know, he had a he had a cool website, a nice brand, good logo, but just not the need for a full-time designer. And we were able to kind of come in and give him a dedicated professional designer, but at a rate and a commitment financially that isn't going to just, you know, crush a small business. Right. After that, what happens in terms of signing on more people? You say, hey, I got somebody, to, I got somebody to pay me for this. They put their money where their mouth is <laughs> and... What happens next? Well, one of our keys to success was charging a lot of money relative to to software. Now, it's not a lot relative to a full-time designer, but getting 370 bucks a month, which technically early days we were only 195 and we we upgraded, but even even that, getting a couple hundred bucks in immediately and I get 10 of those clients, actually I think I got 15 clients the first month. That's cash flow. Like I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I actually have cash flow. I can pay myself. I could buy Facebook ads. I could invest it in a sponsorship, which we ended up doing um, the second month in Infusionsoft. So the price point was so instrumental to our success because we just had money immediately. Now, where did those 15 clients come from? We did a lot of guest blogging. I did a lot of spamming. In fact, I got blocked by Gmail for a while because I just was like BCCing my entire like contact list okay. <laughs> into emails. They did not like that. I'll admit, like I I like got every list of every marketing lead I could find and just blasted them and just said, 
hey, we're new. Here's what we do. Check us out if you want to sign up. And it was ghetto back then. We didn't have a software. We didn't have, like, I was every job except for design. Yeah. And it was, we had three different plans, which that was a big mistake because it was, it was all the same thing. I just was like made up some plans that looked different with different limitations because I thought that's what you did when you were a company selling stuff online. Tell me about that because that's an interesting observation on the pricing because yeah, the traditional sense is like, hey, I have a small, medium, large because you never know. Some people are going to pick the large one, you know, but you said, no, we're going to, going to do one, one service, one price. I think there are reasons why that works in particular with pure SaaS products or let's say really complicated service models that there's a lot of exposure of risk for the person providing it where they would need to have different limitations because they don't want to just lose money on a client. But for us and what I found was my initial reason to break up these plans and I created a lot of false limitations Cause I was like, I was afraid of getting taken advantage of and, and I didn't really know what to charge truly either. Like I didn't know what the right price point was. So ultimately the, the real simple decision why I eliminated tiers and plans was because all of the differences were, were Russ Perry made. Like they were limitations I had just created for no real reason. And it was creating a lot of sales questions I didn't want to answer. Okay. It was like, well, what's the difference between this plan and this plan? What's the difference between this plan and this plan? And when you're the sales guy and the accountant and the tech support and the customer support and everything else, I just was like, dude, I want to eliminate these sales questions. Here's one plan. There you go. No more sales questions on the difference between plans. Yeah. Fair enough. And it worked. And at that point we had enough data because we did lower, we had the low price we increased it to 370. Then we went up to 495 and really saw a drop off. And then finally just settled at 370. And we've been there ever since because it it's enough, but it's not too much. You could put that on a credit card and not necessarily raise any flags. Yeah. And and do you find that's kind of where clients are? They're, you know, within some corporate structure that doesn't it they definitely don't have the need for an in-house design staff, but they have <laughs> they have an ongoing need for design. Yeah. And everyone's paid a few hundred bucks for a design job in the past. They, at least the, the clients we want. So everyone's spent that enough, that amount, like two or $300 on some project in the past. So they have a point of reference. And that's another thing that I learned in terms of pricing. If you're selling something like design, my customers have a lot of experience buying design. If I was to sell, say this like Zencaster software we're using for you're recording. Well, you know, maybe people have experienced podcasting, but more people don't. Right. So you're really having to like sell why there's these features and benefits and why you're different and why you even need to do podcasting. I never needed to do that for sales. In fact, sales for us was like really easy. It's like, Hey, do you need design? Okay. Here's our price. And again, if you've had that price, if you've bought, like, say you've hired a guy, a freelancer and he charged you a couple hundred bucks for a brochure, then you see our offer and you're like, well, wait a minute, I paid just as much of that for one project and you're telling me I can get, I can use you whenever I want and it, the price doesn't change. Yeah. So those sales, that's that price point was really important to have price context, if I want to call it that. I'm just kind of making that up, but like pricing context where there's experience around whatever it is you're trying to sell. Okay. Have you gotten pushback from people about like, well, you're, you're commoditizing my art or real design can't be done for this price. 
Yeah, the, I call that the underemployed graphic design community that hates on us. And it's kind of like, like, yeah, we've had all sorts of funny things. We actually had a, a protest, like a coordinated protest from some podcaster in California. And it and it and their like form of protesting us was having his listeners dress up as a pickle, like a photoshopped pickle, and they put their faces in, and everyone's was giving thumbs ups. So it was like this bizarro, like avant garde protest that ends up just like really branding us really well because everyone's dressed up as pickles. But yeah, people push back, and you know, unfortunately. The reality is if they were making any kind of real money in their life and doing something meaningful, they wouldn't really care about us. But in fact, they're not, and they're probably broke, so they they attack us. And my argument is like, it's probably worthwhile like going and getting clients versus attacking us because truly the reason, you because you suck so much is why we're in business. Because <laughs> people want to use a design service that doesn't have an attitude and doesn't have an ego and is actually friendly and helping. Now we don't do everything. And that's the other non chip on my shoulder argument. Cause he clearly can tell I care about this is like, dude, we're not creating responsive websites and we're not creating mobile apps and we're not designing brand structures and hierarchies and content strategies and all these things that creatives can do that we're not for. So, but if a dude really wants to go toe to toe because he's really passionate about designing Facebook ads, then yeah, we're totally up his world and i'm sorry but that's like <laughs> pick a different design niche because we're gonna totally eat you for breakfast let's talk about the people who are delivering the work who's actually doing the design like tell me about your team and kind of the hiring that you've had to do to, to scale that up so this is why i'm so passionate and especially like when people do attack us because there's a lot of trolls online i'll i'll light them on fire we have the most amazing full-time team out in the Philippines. And we are like, they're our brothers and sisters. Like we talk with them every day on Slack. They work for us full-time. I mean, technically they're 1099 contractors from a structural and legal standpoint because they work from home. They meet every box in the 1099 requirement, but they're working for us. We make it a point. We want to be the best employer in the Philippines for graphic design. So we actually pay three times the average salary. We provide health reimbursements. We provide training. One of our team members had a baby recently and we supported her through that process. So it's like a massive big family and we just recruit through word of mouth. And we have a big event once a year in Manila that we host everybody at. We've done it two years in a row and we're going to do it again this March. But it's it's that's the other thing is like, to the designers that hate on productized services for design, the 99 designs and the fibers of the world actually have kind of messed things up for everybody because those business models are designed to increase volume. It's like a credit card company. Credit card companies just want more people to use credit cards because they take a percentage. Fiverr doesn't really care about the quality of the work. They just want more volume. Whereas we're the opposite. We want quality. We want a good experience. We want everybody together, working together and having a great experience because we're going to get paid the same regardless. Like if you use us more, I'm not going to get paid more. If you stay longer and you love us, then I'm going to get paid more because you're going to stick around longer. So that's the big difference. And so that's why we have such a commitment to our team and what you really experience when you sign up for our service. Have you found any specific, I mean, you don't have to give away like, you know, all your hiring secrets, but... Did you send somebody over to interview people in person? You know, what's that 
look like managing a remote team? I imagine is a sizable number of people at this point. What does that look like? Trying to trying to scale that from halfway around the world. Yeah, I mean, we're at a, I believe by now over a hundred people over there. Wow. And dude, the answer I'm going to give you is one that I can't even believe I'm about to give you because I used to just scoff at this kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's all about mission, vision, values. I kid you not. Having mission, vision, values. Our vision is to change lives through creativity. Our mission is to be the most helpful creative company in the world. And our values are friendly, smart working, service, and truth. And we live by those. We hire by those. We talk about them. We train on them. You could have a great portfolio as a designer, but if you're not a friendly person, you will get fired or you won't even get hired. You won't even need an interview. So it's all about just creating that culture. And then I have a local, I have a local team and local management team out there. So of those hundred people, about 80 are designers and the other 20 are people running those designers. And that was really important from the beginning is I'm not going to mess with that. I don't know the culture. I don't speak the language. I'm going to have someone who I can work with directly and then they can work with the team. Okay. Okay. If I submit a design request, does it go through that management layer? Or does it go directly to my designer? It does go directly to your designer, but there is layers in case things aren't going well. We have layers of control and we actually have full-time customer support people here in the US. So right now we have four full-time people in the US where we have 12 team members total here in the US, but we have four of them. A third of them are dedicated to the clients. So when something does go wrong, we can take a look, chat with them because our Filipino team works in the middle of the night US time. So if something, you know, you can't really the communication's asynchronous. So if something goes wrong, it's not like 3 a.m. email. You're like, hey, what's up? Yeah. So we have that team here working U.S. hours so that they can chat and diagnose. Anytime something goes wrong, it's communication. Our designers are really good. Most designers who make it into the design pickle system are good designers. It's always like the request that says, hey, make this awesome. <laughs> and you kind of are like, uh, all right, well, awesome, like Game of Thrones, dragon awesome or awesome like touchdown football awesome like or unicorn awesome which awesome do you mean and once we can peel back that and understand what the client actually means then we can get back on track are you communicating directly with the with the designer and they're sending the file back to you and then you request revisions yeah you know them you know them by first name they Wish you happy birthday. You get to know them. You okay. you love them. You hate them. They're they're you love them when they're doing great. You hate them when they stress you out because something <laughs> you, they, you know a link was broken or something. But yeah, you're working directly with them. Okay. okay. And our designers manage a pool of clients and work on your stuff every day. So they're only going to be able to get done you know, depending on what the total volume of that pool of clients submits in a day. But sometimes things are slower and they can get a lot done. Other times things are busy and you may only get like a couple things done in, in, in a business day or may take a couple of days. So that that velocity and that flow is very unique and we never promise anything because we just don't know. And people are good at emails. People suck at emails. That's how you communicate is always via email. Yeah. That largely determines the, like what you experience. Did you find it was tough to hire for such a subjective skill like oh this is going to be somebody's portfolio could look totally different than somebody else I, I don't know like i've always had a hard time making design hiring decisions it ends up becoming an advantage because we don't focus on a large spectrum of design the design that we do we can 
like you get a lot of reps at design pickle as a designer. Yeah. <laughs> we're breaking 800 design jobs a day that we're doing. We're getting close to 900 jobs a day. So if you can make it through training, which is a lot about you as an individual and takes about two or three weeks, it might be a little rocky out of the gates, but after a week or two of working, you've gotten a lot of practice. And so the design, again, we're not doing this like high cerebral conceptual design. It's, hey, I have this file. I don't know where the design files are, but here's a picture of it. Can you recreate it, please? Yeah, okay, cool. And I mean, I could do that not as fast as my designers, but if you have a rough understanding of the tools, you can do it. And then we do have some designers that are just amazing. Here's the challenge for international designers in general, anywhere in the world. I've, I've traveled really except for, I'd say, like the UK and the US, major English speaking countries. Design is a vocation in other countries, like like a tradesman job. So it's not well supported in the universities. So most of the designers that, that you find in other countries are self-taught, or they are in some type of commercial engine where they're just producing like, like a sweatshop factory. And so when we can pull them out of that environment and put them in our environment, they can really thrive and blossom because they're treated with respect. They are paid well. They have time to learn. There's training. There's advancement opportunity. And that's ultimately why we've been successful is about the people. It's not about the design skills that are required because it's not a lot of design skills that we're asking for. It's a lot of heart. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of culture and that's harder to find. Yeah. Now it obviously didn't start this way, but to process 800 or 900 design jobs a day, like there's gotta be some infrastructure, some, like you said, some automations and some systems to deal with all of that. Okay. At what point did you start to implement this, this stuff or were people emailing you right away and you would forward it to the people? Like, I'm curious how the systems have kind of grown and evolved with the, with the company. Yeah. So the point I need so we do run custom software. In fact, you can, we just started a new company, JAR, JARHQ.com, where we actually now sell our software. So you can be any creative team, any team at all and check it out and white label it and put your own logo and manage your own requests, whether you're doing design, you're an in-house team, you're copywriting, whatever. This was something built in-house and you say, well, there might be other people that would have use for it too. Totally. Yeah. Now it's slightly different version than the one we use at Design Pickle, but it's the same bones and, and we're actually, you know, it's a new company that we're launching oh, cool. because we decided that everyone who's creating anything for anyone should use a tool like we have and because it works really well. But before it was very ghetto and I knew we needed to do something else when the secret for about the first six months of Design Pickle was that you didn't even need a paid account to submit a request. Like if you just knew the email address, you could just submit it in and it would get done. Now we were small enough that we knew who were paying clients and who weren't. Yeah. But at a certain point I was like, dude, this is not scalable. We need to figure something out. This is like a big backdoor problem that we're going to have. So then we started building our own custom software and initially it was built on top of a ticketing API and then the new jar that that's at jarhq.com, that's total 100% custom everything ourselves. But we've actually built it on top of Box's file service, box.com. So what's really dope about it is it's like really seamless file management and integration. So if you are dealing with a lot of creative assets for clients or coworkers, doesn't really matter, all that's integrated and built in. So you don't need to manage like a separate disorganized folder 
and the whole team has access to that instance of box within jar. So everybody's on the same page. Like you're not hunting down stuff if you're using our tool. Very fancy. Extremely. Took a long time. It took a while. I'm learning process to build a SaaS app. <laughs> well, all of this is, I mean, you know, we're only two and a half years deep into this and you're already spinning off other projects and things are going crazy. So it's, it's really kind of exciting to see from from the outside looking from from this random dude in the corner of the expo hall in a pickle costume, you know, <laughs> at the Infusionsoft thing a couple of years ago, all the way to this. So I'm, I'm curious on the, I guess, on the membership front, you know, one of the silent killers of of any kind of recurring revenue business or subscription business is the churn. I'm curious if you found anything particularly effective outside of the communication, delivering quality product to reduce that churn or improve that customer lifetime value. It's finding the right clients on the front end in the first place, because if you hit our pricing page and you don't see the inherent value and be like, wow, that's a good deal, then you're going to be a bad client because creativity the sad part is, and the frustrating part about our business is it's super su- subjective. You're going to have a different experience, Nick, than my coworkers, than my mom, than a client in Idaho. Yeah. And so we can't really change that. And, and I've literally in the same day gotten a cancellation request saying, my designer sucks. I hate them. You suck. I mean, like the most seething email. And then another email, no joke, same day from another client saying, I love my designer. This is the best. Thank you. And it was the same designer. <laughs> and so like it's mind. I mean, all I had to stop reading these like articles on how to reduce churn and five hacks for churn. Cause it was totally irrelevant for our business. Yeah. Like it was like, this doesn't work. So it just comes into, are we targeting the right people who are going to see the value and if things get a little sticky, they're not going to bail. They're actually going to communicate and tell us what's up so we can help. And that's why we we communicate a lot. There's so much emails and communications and people and onboarding calls and all of this because we're just literally trying to weed these people out the first few weeks. Yeah. And if they can stick around to a month, then most likely they're going to stick around three months. And if they can stick around three months, then most likely they'll upgrade to like a prepaid plan, whether that's a six or a 12 month plan. Oh, okay. By that point, they have integrated you deeply enough into their systems where it's like, Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm relying on these guys to produce this design content. Yeah. If somebody, if you get that email that says, Hey, my designer sucks. Do you try and reassign them to somebody else? Like, Hey, would you like to take this other guy for a test drive or or it's just like, ah, this is not a good fit. Yeah, that's the standard protocol for the customer success team. Maybe like I've never did online dating. That like was before my time. Like I did the old fashioned take girl to bar dating. <laughs> but it's like online dating, you know, we match you when you sign up. And sometimes we get it, but oftentimes you just don't like them. And it's not, no one's at fault. It's just not a fit. So yeah, if we can intercept them and reassign them, that's great. But sometimes clients, they're weird. They don't even ask. They don't even know. And They'll just cancel and you're like, hey, what happened? Like, you seemed like a great client and there's no feedback. They've done 10 jobs with zero feedback. They just get the files or they say thank you or something. And they're like, oh, my designer sucks. And you're like, dude, (laughs) you got to tell us these things. Clearly there's a value here that we're providing. But if you're not happy, you don't like it. And, you know, people don't like conflict. And sometimes we have to hammer them. And I've recovered people because every cancellation kicks out an email from me saying, Hey, what's up? What's going on? And those that do reply, I read every one and I've recovered people. Cause I'm like, Hey, did you know you could try a different designer? Or did you know that 
this is what should be expected. And people are pretty amazed sometimes. And I'm amazed too, that they don't even complain. Yeah. So you mentioned targeting the right clients on the front end, people who are going to look at this price point and say, hey, this is a great value. What have you found as far as effective marketing channels at this stage in the game? So how are we finding the right clients? Is the question like through what channels? Yeah, I imagine it spreads through word of mouth because business owners talk to other business owners. But I'm curious if you're doing any like proactive marketing, like you're still doing guest blogging, are you still BCCing? You know, your entire contact list. Like, what's going on <laughs> on the marketing front? I've chosen a more legal path of email marketing. Yeah, no, we do. It's usually sixty percent organic. So that then is podcasts like this. We do a lot of trade events which generate organic traffic after. It's hard to track a direct investment in a trade show. We still we did a bunch of marketing shows this year. We're going to like a church conference this year in, or this month in Atlanta. Okay. So we're, we're testing out that. And then like 30-ish percent paid advertising, paid acquisition with the majority of that through Facebook. No one is like the guy who's on Google typing in, how do I hire a designer? Or I need a designer. That is not the guy we want or gal. That person is like the worst possible client for us. Google, while I want to crack it, is like really hard for us to crack because our ideal client is probably set at the moment with the designer. They know somebody, they have somebody, they are a coworker, maybe they are a designer. So we want to interrupt them on Facebook and Instagram and be like, hey, here's who we are, here's who we are, here's who we are, here's who we are. And then when a problem happens or something's going wrong or they need extra help, then they're like, Oh, that pickle guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go check those guys out. Okay. So that's kind of the the Facebook strategy is just kind of an awareness play at this point, or does it lead directly to a sign up for a trial or what does it look like? Yeah, just sign up. We don't mess around, just direct <laughs> sales ads. We've tried, you know, we have a lot of top of funnel stuff around the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We are actually the 2017 national pickleball tournament sponsors. So if you've ever heard of the sport pickleball, yeah. it's like tennis with with paddles. Okay. We are the presenting sponsor on CBS Sports this fall oh, for wow. their That's national awesome. tournament. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, a, an experiment in B2C marketing, but we're going after that. And yeah, we just want awareness and brand awareness. And then if it's relevant to you and you need design, then the idea there is your we're top of mind. Okay. I'm definitely curious to see how that one plays out. That's a great tie-in. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, a bit of an older demographic to traditionally than what we're looking for, but it wasn't that expensive of a sponsorship. Let's just say that. <laughs> you, you never know. You never know. It's not like the Olympics. <laughs> That's right. Well, Russ, what's what's next? You mentioned Jar HQ, which is kind of your in-house, I guess, management SaaS for managing creative teams, creative projects. Who's the target customer for that? We're really looking right now to work with people who are currently managing clients with email, whether that's like taking their inbound requests, delivering files to them, delivering copy content. If you're communicating with your clients via email to get the work done, then that's, we want you to not use email and we want you to use JAR because it's been transformational for our experience. And what the cool thing about JAR, the I already mentioned the file features, but the other kind of killer feature is that there's a client login that's really just only their stuff and it's only the stuff you want them to see, which is nice because most companies don't let clients into their Asana or Trello or whatever else they're using because it's like they don't want them to see the dirty laundry of what's going on. Yeah. So we, we have a nice clean interface that a client can log into 
see their files, make a request, get things done. If it's branded, you can have your logo on it. Looks like your thing. So that's that's what we're we're trying to go after. I'm actually meeting all this week, kind of developing this strategy. Very cool. And you got a book coming up? I do. The Sober Entrepreneur coming out the later than September here. I feel like there's a backstory there. Well, I used to drink a lot. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, in all seriousness, I did have, uh, I was an alcoholic. I drank a lot. A lot of my agency years, you know, I quit in 2013. I've been sober almost four years now. Uh, October 2017 will be my fourth four year of sobriety. But it was a struggle and it was a struggle as a man, a struggle as an entrepreneur, a struggle as a husband. And so I wanted to write a book really sharing my story, but also really talking about this larger topic of sobriety. Because if it's not alcohol, it could be your business. If it's not your business, it could be food or porn or, you know, like there's a lot of stuff out there that consumes us and kind of takes us to different places. And so I wanted to write a book telling my story, but also opening up this conversation of around like, what does it mean to live sober? And how can you live a more sober, clear life, which in, in my definition is just being in full control and super authentic, just being who you are. So that book's going to be coming out and we'll see where that goes. Very cool. Soberentrepreneur.com is the landing page there. That's right. Yeah. And everyone listening, you can download the first chapter for free there. Just shoot me your email and you'll get it right away. Sounds good. Soberentrepreneur.com, jarhq.com for the new SaaS product. And of course, designpickle.com for the unlimited design service. Russ, awesome to chat with you. Lots of fun takeaways and kind of nuggets. Dude, I've never had, I've never been able to talk about all three things in one podcast. This is like the triple crown yes, podcast today. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, before I let you go, we got to wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I'm going to go back to pricing. If you're not charging enough, you will not succeed. You will lose motivation. You'll get burnt out. You'll grind yourself into death without a paycheck. <laughs> so I would venture to say double or triple your prices immediately out of the gates. That cash flow is literally the elixir of life for your motivation and everything else that's ahead. Cash flow is the elixir of life. I love it, Russ. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Like Russ mentioned, when you're starting out, you're wearing all the hats in your business from marketing to sales to accounting to customer support and everything in between. And where FreshBooks comes in is in trying to make that accounting hat fit a little more comfortably. It's a pretty satisfying feeling when a client of yours, a prospect of yours says those magic words, send me the invoice. That's when you fire up FreshBooks, you drop a professional looking invoice in under a minute, you send it over and you get paid. The award-winning cloud accounting software gives us an organized and professional way to keep our paperwork in check without having to spend a ton of time. If you haven't already, check out the freshly redesigned FreshBooks platform. They've gone through feature by feature to make it more intuitive and even easier to use. So in addition to invoicing, you've got time tracking and expense management tools built right in and the handy FreshBooks mobile app works wherever you do. See how the all new FreshBooks can save you time dealing with your paperwork so you can spend more time making your hustle happen. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30 day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. 
Okay, lots to unpack from this episode, including Russ's obvious passion for this business and his lean startup style launch. I liked the part about how anyone could have been able to uh, submit a design request if they guessed the email right. But here are my top three takeaways from this chat with Russ. Number one is to market your thing. There's There was no build it and they'll come. This wasn't, oh, I'm going to set up a website and I'm going to hope that customers find it. Russ was out there in a freaking pickle costume. He was speaking at events. He was emailing his contacts. He was getting in trouble with Gmail, but he was getting the word out. He was marketing his thing. Even today, I see Design Pickle at conferences. I see their ads on Facebook. They're sponsoring the National Pickleball Championships, and they're still out hustling for more customers. And like Russ said, it's the pricing and it's the lifetime value that allows them to invest in that growth. Takeaway number two is to remove yourself as early as possible. One thing I thought was cool is that this was never Russ's awesome design service. He was never selling his own skill or his own expertise. He was just finding other people who could deliver the goods and then matching them up with customers in need of their help. You could do that, right? And then all you have to do is rinse and repeat over and over again until you're at 400 grand in monthly recurring revenue. Takeaway number three is to sell your tools. So Russ's new software project, JAR, is a great example of taking a page out of Amazon's playbook. And what I mean by that is their, like for example, their AWS infrastructure, their cloud hosting, was originally built for their in-house use. They say, hey, we've got this fast-growing e-commerce platform. How do we handle all the traffic? And then once it was built and functional, they said, hey, we could turn around and sell access to this to external customers. And now everybody hosts on uh, Amazon, it seems like. <laughs> At least most startups seem to host on Amazon. Another example is they built their logistics network. And then they opened it up to uh, FBA sellers. They said, hey, we've already built this. Why don't we open the floodgates and now we can take a fee on that. So that, that I think JAR is an example of selling your internal tools. Hey, we built this for in-house use, but I think it has a broader application. It's also... I think an illustration of, for those who have a phobia of service businesses, of, uh, of the hustler's path that we've talked about from freelance to agency to product. You don't always know what the product is going to be when you start out, but we've seen it over and over again on the Side Hustle Show that more time leveraged business models emerge from something else first. I should note here too, if you want to give Design Pickle a try yourself, they do have a 14-day free trial. And if you want to go through my affiliate link, it's sidehustlenation.com slash designpickle. And you can use the promo code VA30 for 30% off your first month. That's VA, like virtual assistant 30. Of course, I'll link that up in the show notes for you as well at sidehustlenation.com slash Russ. While you're there, don't forget to download the free PDF highlight reel summary with all of Russ's top tips from this conversation. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're wrapping up our recurring revenue theme for the month with a guest who bootstrapped his company from zero to $30,000 in monthly recurring revenue in less than two years. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.